Win at Work and Life with Nikki Bush is the podcast where you and I explore what it means to win at both work and life. Today, you get to choose how to create a life of meaning and self-expression that includes both your work and life outside the office with your family. In this podcast, I'll be discussing how to manage your child's digital safety with Josh Ramsey. Josh is the co-founder of Be In Touch, a company that promotes healthy digital habits and family digital wellness. He is a speaker, educator, and coach who watches trends in the digital space and translates them into everyday speak. He speaks from experience, having suffered from digital addiction in his teens and 20s. Having completed a degree in psychology, philosophy, and coaching, Josh spent his youth traveling the world, working as a model, actor, and later a stuntman. He has seen firsthand the illusion of the entertainment engine and decided to pursue purpose over profit. His broad scope of experience as an entrepreneur who has worked in organizational development, training, education, and wellness has given him a unique perspective into the emerging field of digital wellness. He's also a former TEDx speaker, and he brings engagement and insight into his audiences, both remotely and in person, to assist brands to position themselves as digital wellness innovators. Josh, thank you for joining us today. It is an absolute pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me, Nikki. Well, I'm so excited to be chatting to you. You and I have followed each other for some time now. We've attended each other's talks and it really has been so fascinating to watch your career grow and develop. So Josh, you're at the coalface, so am I. You've done some recent research at Be In Touch. You did a survey of about a thousand learners and I think it would be really interesting for our listeners to hear what some of those survey results have been. Let's really bring this issue alive. You and I, neither of us are anti-tech at all. We're pro-tech, but Absolutely. we really just want people to be awake and aware of all the possibilities and opportunities, but also the dangers and the threats that are very real. So yep. let's kick off. How many kids have got smart devices? Yeah, so a bit of context on the surveys. I think it, it, it is important because there are, you know, generally there, there was a gap that we saw in South Africa that we really don't have the statistics to tell us how bad these problems are. There are surveys that come out, you know, once in a blue moon, and they generally are very, very broad. And so what we found is that by helping school communities figure out the digital wellness challenges that they have within their context, is a very good way to primarily activate parents. That's one of the big reasons we collect this survey data. You know, the one is to give the school insight into what they need to be working on, but the other one is to shake parents and wake them up. And uh, so that's what I'm hoping we will do today as we talk about these stats. And then of course, because both of us are pragmatic people, we wanna know what do we do? We're gonna try and tie in a practical step to each one of these categories of statistics. So the first one that you opened up with, have a phone or tablet by age 10. So that's, you know, we asked the kids, you know, when did you get your first tablet? And we're finding that 45% of the children that we survey have got their own phone or, or tablet or access to one by the age of 10. So that's 45%, almost half of all children by age 10. You take that age up to 13, 14, you're sitting at 80 to 90%. Um, so obviously there is context of these, these children. Not every child is 
um, blessed and cursed to have access to a device, but across the board, we're seeing incredibly high levels of access to smartphones and tablets. And I would concur with that, looking at my audiences. And uh, when I do a show of hands with my audiences, which range from grade two upwards, so even before the age of 10, mm. uh, and they don't necessarily have to be high end, um, you know, LSM 9, yeah. 10. People are, are giving their children hand-me-downs and your hand-me-down yes. is a smartphone. And I think yeah. so often parents are not considering that that smartphone actually gives their children access to the world and the world access to their child. So it's super important that parents have agreements with their children before they give them a cell phone, before they give them an internet yeah. device, because if you don't, it's too late to then come in with all guns blazing a year down the track and say, well, actually now we're going to put parental control software in place and we want to know what you're doing. It's too late. There needs to be a culture of responsibility that goes with using a sophisticated device because children's brains are far from ready to deal with cyberbullying and sexting and nastiness that can go yeah. on online and i often say to parents are you ready for your child to be on the end of blackmail of being clickjacked of extortion etc cetera, etc cetera? because if you're not you shouldn't be giving your child a cell phone without first establishing those ground rules and that includes putting your phone to bed at night which is our next um our next item on your list from your survey yeah, so, you know, putting the, the phones into the context of, of some form of agreement, which is what you're talking about. Before I share that, you know, getting, you know, how the number of children that have their phones in their rooms at night, just to speak to parents, because a lot of parents think that, you know, they don't want to create these very formal structures with some form of cell phone contract or a family digital wellness contract. And then what I say to those parents is, as an adult, your life is defined by contracts your marriage contract, your insurance contracts, your lease agreement, your mortgage contracts, your employment contracts. So why do we wait until our child is renting a house for the first time as a university student to introduce them to the idea of a contract? It doesn't have to be 50 pages long. It can be written with crayons and smiley faces on the fridge, but there needs to be some documentation around what this agreement is, what the consequences are. So I would say that's the number one tip in terms of handing over that device. It comes with strings because everything else in life does too. Called accountability, <laughs> of course, you know. And Absolutely. Actually, <laughs> our children need to be accountable from as early as possible. They need to understand that every choice comes with a consequence, which yes. links back to that contract, that agreement, that if I do this, Absolutely. then this happens. If I do that, then that happens. Absolutely. And then, and then the parent's role is just simply to be confused. I don't understand why you chose to break this agreement because now the consequences are this. You knew what the consequences are. I'm not angry. I just don't get it. I just don't understand why 15 minutes of screen time will, you know, it's cost you three days now. So it, it just opens a lot more space for conversation. And the conversation has to be happening because what we see is that children are using their devices at night in their bedrooms. In the surveys that we've done, as much as 70%, it's 69% on the, on the survey that we've currently released, 69% of children have got access to that phone at night. 
And we'll be circling around to that in terms of the behaviors that are happening late at night. But as you said, the children do not have the neocortex. They don't have the frontal brain development to make a wise decision, especially at night when they're tired. And we also know that sleep is insanely important for growing minds to be able to you know, rest and recuperate after a long day. So these phones are getting up to no good in their children's devices. And of course, the irony is that we call them phones. Do you think children are using them to phone? No, they're not. They're sending voice notes. They're using it as a torch, an alarm clock, a gaming console. They're not phoning anyone. So if they say they need it in their bedroom because they want an alarm clock, get them an alarm clock. If they say they need a torch, get them a torch, but get that device out of their bedroom. And as we go on with the survey results, I'll give you more insights into why. What I find with my young audiences, because I ask this question is how many of you are falling asleep with your cell phone? And I yeah. would put that figure at 80%. And yeah. children are losing the skill of self-regulation of how to actually fall asleep by yeah. themselves. And you've got a little one. You've got an 11-month-old. <laughs> right from you know babyhood, one of our roles and responsibilities as parents is to teach children how to self-regulate, how to eat, when to eat, yeah. what to eat, when to sleep, when to play. So these are part of our field of responsibility. And yet we are now abdicating at a very early age by allowing our children to go to bed with a phone. And if they're not on social media or checking things out with their friends, they are watching a movie or listening to music to enable them to fall asleep. And so they are losing more and more autonomy and becoming mm. bigger slaves to the device which is not going to help them in the long run. So the question is, parents need to put in some spade work and leg work early on. Otherwise, I'm not quite sure what kind of pills these children are going to be taking in early adulthood. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, in our webinars, we talk about, you've got two types of children. They're either on social media or they want social media. And that ties into whether they have a device or not. And then if they have a device, it's going to be in their bedroom. But the, the line that we use is, if the cat is out of the bag and your child already has that device in their bedroom or on so, they're on social media, now it's, it's more like you're trying to get a tiger back into a cage and it's going to fight you. What I will say, I want to share a short story of a mom that we helped with some advice and her child was just off the rails, was very poor at school, was not sleeping well, was cranky in the mornings, all of the, all of the signs of a child that is just not living a balanced life. And she fought tooth and nail to get those devices out of the bedroom. And there was a massive cadenza day one, day two, even more tantrums, day three, less so, day four, a little bit less. By day five, it only took five days for that teenage boy to go to his mom and say, mom, I'm actually really grateful that you took this out of my, my bedroom. Because you have to understand that your children need a shield from one another. They need to be able to say, oh, my parents are so lame. They won't let me use my phone at night. That's why I can't stay up late and talk to you on Instagram until three in the morning. But actually, they don't want to be there. And probably their friend doesn't want to be there because, you know, nobody wants to be doing that with their time when they know they need to be sleeping. So parents have to get involved and have to be the parent, not the friend, which I know that you talk about as well. Yes, unfortunately, we have so many parents who just don't want to put boundaries in place because they want to be friends with their children. They want to be the nice guy. 
They want to have this amazing relationship with their kids. But what they don't realize is that when there are no boundaries, the children are in charge. And children can then manipulate parents to get whatever it is that they want. And children feel incredibly unsafe, believe it or not, uh, when their parents are not in control. So talking of control, you have a statistic here that says 78% of, I think it's grade 8 to 12s, have no form of parental controls on their device. Can you expand on that for us? Absolutely. And now I, I will echo, um, I was talking to Chris McCrenna from Protect Young Eyes. He's an organization in the States. And he made a great point. I wish there was a better word for parental controls. Can you imagine trying to pitch your child? Okay, we're now going to give some parental controls to this device that you love so much. I just wish we had a better word for it. But suffice to say is that the majority, the vast majority of these devices have no filtering. And so what that means is that it's not being monitored in terms of the the content that's coming into it. It's not being controlled for the times in which that content can be accessed, uh, the the places in which that content can be accessed, uh, the settings with which it is set up, you know, whether it's a public account or a private account on a social media context. And this is a major, major issue, right? Uh, You know, the, the metaphor is imagine a small house with a parent and a small child and they come out of their front door And in front of them is a 16-lane highway, a 16-lane highway with trucks and cars and buses. And that parent thinks that they can get across that road just with what they have their eyes on. And so we can't be relying, parents can't be relying just on their own parental senses. They need additional digital senses, and that's what parental controls are. They give you'll give that parent the line of sight of what's going on in their child's digital world. And they need that information to make better choices and to help the child have better choices. Um, You know, there's a big discussion around privacy. And now the the two things on that is that firstly, parents have to prioritize their child's safety over their child's privacy. That's number one. The other one is that transparent parental controls, transparent conversations about monitoring your child's online life are going to be much better than covert spying. Because that's what happens when parents don't have parental controls. They wait until their child is in the shower or at swimming practice, they grab their phone, they go and swipe through all the things that they can see, and they think that they've done their job, but they've actually just violated their child's privacy and they're seeing things that they don't need to see. So why not rely on some form of parental control that can actually help them parent and take that pressure off having to be everywhere all the time? I have a a concept that I use with parents, and and that is that you wouldn't let your child out on a two-wheeler bicycle without first putting fairy wheels on. And even when the fairy wheels are on, you would be running next to your child for the first few times until they found their balance. And when children first go onto social media, they need fairy wheels. They need you to be around. And we have to have conversations around values and interpersonal communication skills and who you are and how you behave in public, which is often online today, long before they get introduced to a cell phone of their own. And long before we even consider putting that parental control software on. It's who we are in the world, it's how we operate as a family, it's who you are as a person, it's that stuff. And you can't just have one talk about that. This is drip, drip, drip from the time they're two years of age. And when I look at these young audiences of mine, when I do learner talks and I go, hmm, 
Okay, so I had about five girls between 12 and 13 the other day come and see me after a talk. And they've got like 5,000 Instagram followers at the age of 12, 13. And oh. they keep having to close down their accounts because they're being stalked and asked for naked selfies. And, yeah. and then they open up a new account having closed down the one because they're so worried and anxious. And the same people are stalking them. So yeah. they're being followed from place to place. And these children are anxious. They're worried. I think what saddens me the most is that in amongst all the stranger danger, when I ask them, why do you need to be on social media? The answer is to escape reality. Mm. But clearly reality is not fun. Being in the real world is not fun. And they want people to pay attention to them. So the attention yeah. game is the biggest game in town. And parents really yeah. need to understand that because the world is a very big place today. And if your children are not getting this feeling of belonging and togetherness at home, believe you me, they're going to go elsewhere, including online. So, you know, just, just to add a little bit more petrol on the fire of the need that parents must have to, to get insight into their children's digital lives. There was a recent study by the UK Child Protection Services, and they found that 100 convicted pedophiles, we're not talking about people that, are, you know, they trying to find out is this person these have been they've been through the system they've been convicted they're on the sexual offenders list 100 of them were actively back on instagram scalping for children making those connections grooming those children so there is massive massive blind spot in terms of the grooming in particular the stranger contact and and i know that's where, where we're going right now with the next stat and so i'll go straight there because stranger contact and pornography and and often they are related you know these the strangers will start feeding the pornography in or start requesting it are fast becoming in the surveys that we see more concerning than the cyberbullying so the statistic that we've gathered is that about 76 percent of 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 child users you know so these users under 16 have been contacted by a stranger online yes some of that might be very innocuous and just a gaming friend or someone from another school that you haven't met yet, but it may not. And this is a massive area of concern for us. So one of the big ones we ask is, you know, do you know all of your followers in person? Do you actually know who they are? And overwhelming majority, as you said, from the example of those three girls talking to you is a big no. So stranger content is absolutely a massive um, area of concern for us. Yeah, it is a massive, massive issue that is disrupting children in the classroom, in the playground. Yeah. It's disrupting their sleep. It's causing enormous yeah. worry. And my, my concern, of course, is that schools connect with people like you and me, and they ask us to come and give talks to parents and to learners. And so much of it is after the horse has bolted. Yeah. It's almost too late. You know, when yeah. you've got a 13-year-old, if you are then going to start implementing parental control software at that point, you're going to have a war on your hands, number one. Number two, they can become quite devious. Yeah. So it doesn't take much for them to either get a second device or a separate SIM card or get onto somebody else's device or open multiple accounts 
on social media, et cetera. How does parental control software handle that situation? Well, I, I think it handles it in the same way that, um, you know, you've given context that it's, a, it's an assistant. It's not the main driver. You as the parent are in the driving seat, and that's why you need to get this th get these kind of solutions in earlier rather than later. You know, we spend a lot of time reviewing different parental control softwares that are out there, and I'm very happy to, you know, to recommend Bark as my favorite one. I, I know that 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 you've uh, you've looked into their their software and offering as well, and they are going to be one of the most effective tools to help you get insights into what's happening with your child's life. They're not going to help you solve the problem in terms of a one and done, but they are going to give you tips for things that they see and they can help you figure out if this is a fake account or, you know, if, if this child is being groomed or being contacted by someone that they shouldn't. So parents have to understand, as you say, there, th these solutions are an assistant to them. They are not going to make this problem go away. What I will add to that as well, is that if parents are spending more money per month on their entertainment entertainment subscriptions than they're spending on protecting their children, we've got a big issue that <laughs> needs to be spoken about. So we are now entering a technological age where the algorithms that have been monitoring us, you know, the algorithm in YouTube, the algorithm in Facebook and Instagram, we now need our own algorithms to protect us. And we're going to enter this, this age of paying for our own AI sidekicks to protect us, whether that's in our health, whether that's in our home parental control areas or our finances, AI is here to stay and we need to have a, an asset like that on our side when it comes to digital parenting. One of the things I think parents need reminding about and children need educating about is that there's always a trade going on. If somebody is asking you to be a friend who you don't know, what's the trade? We need to get kids to, to critically say, well, what are they really wanting from me? If an advertiser is asking for your email address, it's a trade. You're giving yeah. them your email address and your name or your phone number. Yes, it's a competition and you want to win some Xbox thing, but everything is about money at the end of the day. And that's what I was saying to my most recent couple of audiences of children. And I said, you know, why do you think Activision exists? And they're the producers of some of the biggest video games. When I bring the Activision logo up on the screen, they cheer and they can't believe that I know who Activision is, you know? <laughs> and it's, it's hilarious. And I go, okay, so these guys distribute some of the video games that you like so much. What do you think their goal is as a company? To produce lovely video games for you? What is the goal? And they were quite, it was really interesting to see how quickly they understood that money was the goal. Mm. To make money yep. when your parents buy you that game or you get money from your parents to buy that game or whatever it is that understand that social media platforms exist to make money. Yes, they yep. tell you it's to help you connect with your friends, but the bigger picture is they exist to make money. If they're not making money, they'll die. Yeah. So at the end of the day, they're selling you things all the time. And that parental control software will pick up things like, you know, when the minute your child thinks about something, has a conversation about weight gain, height, strong muscles, all those sorts of things, kids compare themselves to each other. 
instantly they will start receiving ads mm. for corsets on Instagram to make yeah. them look thinner yeah. or special diet pills or whatever. Yeah. They, they've only just thought about it and suddenly they're yeah. bombarded. And 16-year-olds tell me, you know, it's it's so depressing because the internet tells us we're not good enough all the time. Yeah. And, you, you know, I think what you're speaking to is that the desperation that teens have for autonomy. They want control. They want to be able to influence the environment. So, you know, we tell the story of, of how, you know, all the, the nonprofits and, and uh, do-good organizations tried to stop teenage smoking when it really exploded in the 60s and 70s. And they tried the one, be a good boy, be a good boy, uh, girl, you know, represent your parents well. And of course, that all failed. In fact, it turned it the other way around and teens started smoking to prove the point that they were their own people. What made the difference was when they did exactly what you did with Activision. They put an advert of Peter Stuyvesant up and they said, why do you think they chose this picture of these young people? Why do you think in the background that's slightly blurred, they put that image of that car? Or, and they explained the playbook of how they were being gamed, how they were being used. And these teens just went, well, I don't wanna take part in that. I don't wanna sign up now to, you know, become a smoking addict and give all this money away. And that's how we have to be approaching this conversation with our kids. We don't, we don't say to them, don't do it because that's a stupid thing to do. Then they say, well, I don't think it's a stupid thing to do. And now you're in a moral discussion. You're, in, you're not in a discussion about what is pragmatic, what actually makes sense. So, you know, speak to your teenagers as young adults and say to them, you know, let's unpack the psychology of what's going on here. Did you know that 80% of the notifications you get don't come from another human. There's no human on the other side that wants to connect with you. You just happen to have walked next to a shopping mall and a friend walked there a week ago. And so the algorithm picks up your GPS and sends you a notification. And then you're responding to a computer. And as soon as they realize, hold on, I'm just chatting with a computer most of the time. I don't want to do that. It's a waste of time. So there has to be an empowering conversation there. Yeah, I love that. I love that because it's, it's so true. You know, yeah. you go, how come my phone is sending me this message? Is somebody yeah, following exactly. me? You know, it's exactly. like I'm being followed. I'm being yeah. stalked yeah. by an algorithm um, yeah. that kind of is piecing together my life before I even think about it. And Absolutely. it's very important that the children, um, or oh, it's very important that adults understand that actually, even though children love being online, what they really want is a real relationship where they can absolutely be hugged and loved and kissed and mm. and and assured and um, you know have mum or dad put their arm around them and being yeah. able to be, feel safe enough that they can actually yeah. come and ask questions and when yeah. things are going wrong to be able to come and say I've received this message or. Yeah, it doesn't feel right to actually yeah. know that they're going to be welcomed and supported in the process of learning together. Yeah, about how this. And, you know, with that learning together, a great way to start the conversation with your kids is to say, "I'm not going to take your phone away. I'm not going to take it away forever. You know, no matter what you do, I'm never going to take away this phone forever. I'm talking now, 13 around there, 13, 14, 15, 16, um, that kind of space, because." What we see uh, in the work that we do with kids is that often the kids will not tell their parents simply because they don't want the phone taken away, because they know if that phone is taken away, they lose their social contacts, they don't get invited to the parties, and it's just social suicide, they can't do it. They literally get a fear response as if they're being attacked by a you know, physical threat. 
So there needs to be an assurance as a part of that conversation of the contracting or the, the negotiating of terms is that when you mess up, and it's a when, as you say, not an if, when you mess up, your phone will not get taken away forever. There'll be a conversation. We need to teach you how to use this tool. This is a tool. We're going to learn how to use it together. Mm -hmm. And so much of this stranger danger is, of course, invisible. Parents have uh, primed their children not to take sweets from strangers, not to take lifts from strangers, not to speak to the man in the white van outside school. And yeah. yet there are millions more of them now, and we don't know who yeah. they are or where they are, which is where your parental control software comes in, because there are words that get used. There are things that yeah. are part of the whole grooming dialogue that parental control software can, can pick up. So that would be an entry point for a conversation with children, yeah. make things as real as possible for them. And you're talking of pornography because that's the next thing on this list. Children seem so carefree and careless about sharing yeah. naked pictures of themselves on request in order to get attention, to be liked, et cetera. And yet, in a real world setting, when I ask a child to come up onto the stage and take their clothes off in front of a hundred of their friends, they won't do it. And it's just amazing because they're prepared to do it online for thousands of people. Yeah, I really like that way of teaching it. That's really wonderful. Yeah, I, so I used to start my school talks. I've got an early pornography exposure story. That's how I connect with the kids uh, in the lead up to asking them to do our survey. I kind of share warts and all my depression, anxiety, um, addiction to alcohol, marijuana, which started, I would say, from my addiction to pornography um, due to my early exposure at age nine. And I kind of, I used to start these school talks with guys, you know, I was exposed to pornography by age nine and I thought that would be shocking, you know, and then we started doing, getting more and more survey results. And, you know, you can, you know, the survey data that we've got together now is that 43% of them have seen pornography by age 12. But if you take that down to age nine or age 10, 25%. So a quarter of all children have already seen pornography by age nine and 10. And that is just massively disturbing. You know, you know some, of the, some of the lines we use to really wake up parents, because some parents, if they're parents of a boy, they say, well, this is just a normal part of growing up. And then you've got to have the not my dad's porn conversation because your dad was you know, going into a shop and sneaking out a Playboy versus your child's access to high speed, very graphic, very, very hardcore pornography. Um, versus the, the the parents of girls who say, well, my, girls don't look at pornography. And then what we say to them is that if you're not talking to your child, your girl about pornography, she's going to be expected to do the kind of things that boys are seeing when they watch pornography. So it has to be a conversation that, that needs to happen. And as you say, drip fed over more than one uh, shocking convo. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, private parts are private. That's what we teach our children from a very, very mm. young age. And they need to remain private, no matter how old you are. You have to make that decision now at the age of eight or 10, that you will never, ever, ever, yeah. ever go there sharing naked selfies. Because if you talk to digital law specialists, uh, they say that revenge porn is one of their biggest sources of yeah. income. And yeah. so, in fact, a 12-year-old the other day said, but can't you, can't you share naked pictures if you're in a relationship with somebody? 
Yeah. So I said, but you're not necessarily always going to be in a relationship yeah. with that somebody. And even if you're married, what happens in five years time or 10 years time, maybe you decide to get divorced. And yeah. that person still has those pictures of you. And now maybe they don't like you so much. And yeah. now they want to get revenge on you. Well, these kids' eyes were getting bigger and bigger because clearly they've all been sharing naked selfies. So yeah. just, you know, there's, there's even a, a, a legal aspect to actually just having naked pictures yeah. of your friends and you under a certain age on your phone that yeah. you can be liable. Yeah, so, you know, again, we, we can't rely on those, those legal flags to, to kind of scare off kids, uh, even though we do talk to them about case law that's passed, you know, 10 years for every image, 10 years for every image distributed. Uh, obviously, uh, no judge is going to put a child away for 20 years because they made that mistake. But the way that I try and explain it to, to kids is I use my own relationship with my wife. I say, why would I not want my wife to send me a nude? So I say, well, relationships, as you say, they're like cycles of the year. So there's summer times and there's winter times. And um, there's times when you feel very close and times when you don't feel that close. And that's just normal, uh, of, you know, contrary to this perfect life that you see on social media. But then what I also say to them is I say that sending a nude is, is a very poor attempt at building trust. It's a secret. It's my deep secret that I'm going to share with you. And they go, yeah, I know we get that. And then I say, well, it's a really bad idea because it's going to change your relationship forever. And they say, well, what do you mean change your relationship forever? So I say, okay, well, imagine this. Imagine my wife has sent me a nude and then I do something that I shouldn't have done. I made her a promise and I didn't stick to my word and I deserve to be flamed, right? I deserve to get the full wrath of breaking a promise and have her shouting and screaming at me um, or at least saying very sternly, this is not acceptable. This is not what I signed up for. Now, if she knows that I have that photo of her and I can do whatever I want with it. Do you think she's going to risk making me very angry? Do you think she's going to risk giving me the full consequence of the poor action that I've had because she knows what happens if I push him too far and he shares that photo online? And that's why I would never want my wife to send me a nude. And that's why sending a nude in a teenage relationship, which is even more volatile, changes things forever. As soon as it's sent, it is changed irrevocably and you might not even perceive it but the power dynamic has changed and then teenagers they kind of go well no, i don't want to do that so maybe that's a better reason yeah <laughs> so who do you want to have power over you is a good question exactly to ask exactly because yes. by sharing too much information sharing photographs that we shouldn't share we are actually giving away our power and we're inviting yes. fear fear yes. because oh but I wonder if and when somebody's going to yes. share that one day. Imagine living with that forever. And let me tell you, that is what I am seeing in the eyes of these children is yeah. that fear and anxiety. And yet they don't have enough of that prefrontal cortex development to be able to see that being liked and popular is not as mm. important as being smart about the choices yeah. that you make, which is pretty, pretty darn scary. So social media accounts, I mean, you and I know that social media has an age guideline of 13, the children should not be on social media mm. before 13, well, they shouldn't even be on social media after 13, I don't think either. Uh, because once again, does a 13 year old really have the wherewithal to deal with extortion yeah. and revenge and all these horrible yeah. things we're talking about? Be yeah. that as it may, you have a stat here, 67% have access to social media by the age of 12. Yep. 
And, you know, that statistic, as soon as you go to 13, 14, it's 90, it's 95%. So we have to understand that the age limits are set by the apps themselves. There's no third party independent source that can actually regulate what ages these devices are set up for. We have to understand that every social media service is designed by adults for adults and then is used by children. So children are on there and very often they will enter their, their, their false information to get access. And so for the vast majority of the social media act, um, platforms, if you state that your age is over 16, which all you have to do is click, click on a date, it automatically sets your account to public. If you say that you're under 16, but over 13, it should put it to private, but we're not seeing kids being very honest on their sign up to these platforms. I mean, I was terrified to hear when uh, Instagram was looking at launching an under 13 version. And fortunately, that's been put on hold with all the stuff that's happening right now in front of the US Senate and with the, the, the Facebook whistleblower. So parents have to know that they can't rely on the app store to tell them. They have to, as you said, you know, go to commonsensemedia.org or have a look on our website or your website where you've reviewed these apps and you can actually look at what's happening on the app and why it isn't appropriate. And then have that why conversation with your child, uh, you know, so that it is some form of dialogue and not just a top-down uh, decree uh, so that they can understand why they're being protected. Yeah, you know, even nice children can be nasty online. Even nice yeah. children can be naughty online. And I'm using yeah. that word naughty because we've got young children. We've got nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds being really nasty to each other online. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's because they can. And, you know, children will push a boundary until you push the boundary back. Yeah. If they don't know where the boundary is, they seem to keep pushing because they actually want there to be a boundary. It's a weird logical thing. And so if you're not going to push a boundary, those kids are going to keep pushing. And it's almost as if they will do worse and worse stuff to make you wake up as an adult that something needs to be done. It's a yeah. weird kind of psyche that runs between parents and children. That psychological construct did not start with digital technology. No. No, it did not. It happened in our day, you know, before we had cell phones, before we had social media. It's a normal part of being human is pushing in order to find the boundaries. And part of a parent's role is to either contract or expand boundaries as children become more or less responsible and accountable yep. for their actions in the world. And that's something that parents need to acknowledge and, and take on that responsibility. There's an enormous amount of abdication going on, which takes me to your final stat here about cyberbullying late at night, which is complete abdication on a parent's part that that child even has their device on them. Yeah, so this then ties into what we started talking about here. And I'm going to go back and just bring these perfect storm statistics together so that we can understand why this one takeaway point is super, super important. So you've got these 45% of children under the age of 10 with devices. 70% of them have those devices in their bedrooms at night. 80% of those devices have no parental controls on them. And now we start to see, this is the reason why children say that 80% of cyberbullying happens late at night. This is when the vultures swoop in and your child is terrorized. Your child is uh, 
um, called names, is tagged in disgusting photos, is uh, you know manipulated with Photoshop to make a, to make them look a certain way, is is hashtagged with 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 defamatory you know hashtags to make her or him link into trends that are going around. This is when it's happening. So while you are asleep, your child is under attack. And when you wake up in the morning, then you start attacking your child because they're mopey and gropey at the, at the breakfast table because they haven't slept and they're anxious and you don't understand why they aren't talking about their feelings and they're you know, avoiding people that you think that they shouldn't. And they can't look at other adults in the eye because they're so petrified of, of the judgment that they might get. So parents, if you hear one thing in this podcast, it's get the devices out of your children's bedrooms at night. They don't need them there. That's a real clarion call to so many actions that parents need to take uh, with regard to social media devices and their children's digital wellness at the end of the day. This is as yeah. important as teaching your children good hygiene, safety in the real world. This is as or yeah. more important than that, because although we say it's a virtual world out there, it's a very real world. And it yeah. has real world consequences, whether they're psychological, emotional, or even physical, if a child is lured into a private chat room, and then perhaps lured to meet a stranger offline, which is, of course, what we don't want to happen. So parents, I hope you have been listening to Josh as he has been unpacking these statistics, and really just waking us up to the fact that our children live with threats day in and day out, that they could possibly be under attack. And are you awake and aware enough to know what's going on? Josh, thank you for spending time with us and for providing us with more clarity of thought. You have a great way of explaining things in a very easy to understand way. And I think that you have reminded parents that they can do this. It's literally mm. a click away, ask Google, anything yep. you like. And you, even my kids, my 20-something-year-olds, 20 when I phone them and say, how do I do this on YouTube? They say, mom, just Google it. You don't need to ask. <laughs> <laughs> so absolutely. may Google be your friend uh, because you really don't have to look stupid. All you have to do is Google it and you will find any amount of advice as your children navigate the 16-lane information superhighway. <laughs> and I think you talked about parental control software in a term that I haven't used before or heard before, and that is that parents need an extra set of senses because we can't be everywhere uh, where our children are anymore. And so you need yep. those extra set of senses. So that's what you'll get with parental control software. And that... There are times when we really do need to prioritize our children's safety over their privacy, but that doesn't mean that you stop having conversations with your children. Remember that your relationship is the most important way of securing your child's safety in the real world and the online world in the future. Josh, as we close up, any final thoughts and where can parents find you? Yeah, thank you so much. That uh, I think the final thought is just as simple as you've made it. Just Google it. Just take one step. Just do a little bit each day or each week 
you don't have to get it all right and there are you know organizations like yours like mine that are here to partner with you to help you make it a little bit simpler if you would like to learn more about the work that we do at be in touch go to be in touch that's b-e-i-n-t-o-u-c-h dot org dot z-a and i would say of particular interest in the next three months will be the series of webinars that we are launching out in partnership with discovery all about digital wellness and we look forward to sharing a lot more insights there and thank you so much nikki for all your work for all your trailblazing for so long in the parenting space making room for those of us that are coming up to add to the conversation it's been wonderful talking with you today and i look forward to our next chat thank you josh and all the best for all of your endeavors and it's great to have some really fabulous company as we need more and more of us to be advocates for children's safety online. To our listeners, please send through your comments, questions, and topic suggestions to info at nikkibush.com. You're invited to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to empower them to win at work and life too.